The implosion of Steinhoff in 2017 due to accounting irregularities represented the most prominent corporate collapse in South Africa's history. More than 200 billion rand was decimated overnight, which affected millions of South Africans who were invested in the company directly or indirectly through their retirement savings. The collapse at the hand of the high-flying former CEO Marcus Uester also sent shockwaves through South Africa and the rest of the world. The production company Idea Candy has produced a three-part documentary series to unpack the scam. Entitled Steinice, the series reveals how Uester duped auditors, numerous regulators all around the world, and one of the most respected and revered boards of directors of a Jay-Z listed company. The first episode will air on Thursday, the 22nd of September on Showmax, and the subsequent uh, episodes will run over the following two Thursdays. On the line is the director of the documentary, Richard Van Gregory. He's also the award-winning director of the series The Boers at the End of the World, which won numerous awards. It was also aired on Showmax. And with me in, in studio is Financial Mail editor Rob Rose. He wrote the book with a similar name, Steinized, and he was closely involved with the documentary. Richard, let's start with you. Uh, the Steinoff saga has been in the news for close to five years. What does your documentary reveal? Oh, it's taken us about five years just to really grapple with the enormity of what's been going on. You know, as we're seeing in the news, it seems like almost on a weekly basis, there's something new that is coming to light. We've known that there have been various investigations going on over the past few years. Um, but, you know, it took the, the German tax authorities five years back from 2015 just to figure out what it is that they wanted to try and prosecute various people on. So I think what it shows is that what was going on was incredibly complicated. It's taken a long time for people to get to the bottom of it. Only now we're starting to see some movement on it. And uh, so I think the time is right to do a series like this because we've got a little bit more perspective than what we had, you know, in the first few days or months after the crash at the end of 2017. But it is a highly complex story to tell. And I don't think many regulators truly understand what happened how do you tell the story and at whom is it aimed? Well, I think the thing is that, you know, I don't come from a financial background and I use that as a strength as much as I could in that, you know, we had some fantastic people who collaborated with us, like Rob, of course, who literally wrote the book on the subject and you as well, Rake, you know, you, we spent a lot of time together working on these concepts and trying to make it so that somebody like me could understand it, you know, and I always kind of use the mantra, if I can understand it and then explain it in a way that a general audience can understand it, then we've really got a story to tell, you know, because yes, people in the financial world have been following the story over the years as it's been unfolding. They'll be familiar with a lot of the broad strokes. Um, but the, for the general public, I don't think people really understood what it was. A lot of people didn't really understand what Steinhoff did or does as a company. Um, you know, you can't buy a Steinhoff in the shop. People don't quite understand the company structures and that. And they didn't quite know what Marcus Yusser had allegedly done to, to create this, this collapse. So really what we needed to do was take this massive amount of information, including lots of dense financial jargon, and turn it into a format that a wider audience can understand, but without dumbing it down in any way. You have interviewed numerous people. Uh, just tell us about the, the guests uh, you managed to interview and how did you package what they've said into a three-part series? 
I think to answer the second part of your question first, what we did quite deliberately was put a lot of different people's opinions about uh, a particular topic next to each other. And the effect is that you can see, you know, the complexity of it. Different people had different perspectives on it. Different people have different opinions about what happened and all of that. And there's an element where we leave it up to the viewer to say, okay, I'm, I've been given a variety of opinions now. It's up to me to figure out who I believe. Because let's be clear, things are still not absolutely clear cut. If they were clear cut, we would see people behind bars for this and, and there aren't any. Um, but then to get to the first part of your question, you know, we started off with some of the heavy hitters that were involved in this. Um, you know, of course, we try to contact Marcus Joester, Um, But more importantly, in some ways, because, you know, we did hear from Marcus Joester when he had his parliamentary hearings in 2018, um, we wanted to hear some other perspectives that we hadn't really heard of extensively before. Christo Visa uh, very readily agreed to speak to us. He and Rob had a very long and very stimulating discussion, very frank discussion about what went on. So that was hugely useful. Uh, there's people like Pace Dutoy, one of the founders of Coronation Fund Managers. He spoke to us as well and uh, gave us a lot of detail, a lot of behind-the-scenes detail as well about the Stellenbosch scene and all of that. And then there were quite a few people that we needed to work on extensively to get them to to take part and eventually they did. I don't want to give away too much that uh, that the viewers will be seeing in the series but we got some kind of inside scoops on people who really were, were at the call face as it were. That was actually my next question because there are so many question marks which remain because we, we really don't know what happened. So does this documentary actually reveal what happens and, and gives a, almost a conclusion of what went wrong? We do. I think I can say that with confidence we do. You know, there are certain things that we can state openly that happened, that have been found by various authorities, they've drawn those conclusions. And so we're able to state that as well. Things like Marcus Eustace's insider trading, things like his self-enrichment on the Thies and Forest deal that goes all the way back to the early 2000s that SARS discovered in 2011. You know, there's certain things that are now established with, with a relative degree of certainty and we can say is fact. Of course, there's a lot of other conjecture and allegations behind the scenes that we're not quite comfortable putting on screen just yet. And of course, it's all been vetted by two different sets of lawyers. So we're very comfortable with what we're saying on screen. But really, what we're showing is some insight into the mechanisms. But more interestingly for me is the personalities that are behind it. You know, for me, so much of the story really is about the people and not just the financial shenanigans. You know, what were their interpersonal relationships? How did Marcus Eustace persuade people to do various things? Um, and so that for me is kind of the real insight that people are going to be getting out of the series. Did you manage to speak to any of the close associates of Marcus Eustace? You did say earlier that you didn't manage to speak to him. Uh, but did you get insights from, in quotation marks, the other side? Well, that was the interesting thing because I went into this with an open mind, you know, Believing in the principle of innocence until proven guilty, I thought, let me, you know, go into it with the assumption that Marcus Eustace is representing himself truthfully when he spoke in Parliament, giving his, his side of the story. And we then went about speaking to some of his close associates, people who he's still friendly with, 
and saying, you know, we want a rounded view of this man. You know, what do you have to say about him? Do you still support him? Do you want to kind of vouch him on, on his behalf? And um, I'll be honest, there were very few people who were willing to do that. And uh, kind of overwhelmingly, it became the pattern that people had pretty disparaging things to say about Marcus Joster. It's not like we went out with an axe to grind. You know, I've got no personal grudge or vendetta against the man. Uh, I didn't personally lose any money directly apart from, you know, what we all lost in terms of pension funds and that uh, as a country. But I went into it with an open mind and hoping to find people who were going to give a far more sort of rosy outlook uh, about him and, and give some insight into his personality from a positive point of view. And, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of that. The saga stretches way beyond South Africa. Does this documentary include an international perspective? It does, yes. I mean, one of the key international perspectives, of course, is we managed to speak to Bruno Steinhoff, the, the founder of the company. You know, Rob and I went to Germany and spent a few days with, with him there. And that was really enlightening and a really fascinating trip because we heard from the very earliest days and until he met Marcus Joster and his relationship with him. He says he treated him, he felt like he was a son, which makes the fact that this company that still bears his name, that took such a hit from this, even more heartbreaking. You know, he's an 85-year-old man and, you know, at the end of his career now, and for this to be his kind of lasting legacy is, is a real shame. So, yes, we bring in some of the international perspective from that point of view, and we do touch on it in a larger sense as well. But really, we wanted this to be most focused on South Africa and how ordinary South Africans are affected by this as well. You know, one of the things that somebody said to us early on is, why should I care about the story? Is this a, another story about billionaires' tears? Why should I care if somebody's lost a few billion, but they've still got a few billion left? And uh, we wanted to make sure that this isn't a story that's just about that. This isn't a story that only takes place in, you know, the high-flying financial world. This is something that does affect pretty much all South Africans. This must have been a massive production, and it will be aired on Showmax. Uh, what role did Showmax play in this documentary? I think their biggest role is just having the faith that this was a really big story that needed to be told. You know, Idea Candy approached me and asked me to, uh, if I was interested in, in directing it with them, and uh, to put forward my ideas of how I'd like to approach it. And uh, we realized we we're all very much on the same page right from the start. And so it was a fantastic collaboration. And uh, Showmax, they are establishing very quickly a fantastic track record of creating very strong documentary content. So Showmax and Idea Candy together did Devil Storp, which uh, caused such a stir last year. And um, they thought this was uh, a great topic for their next big documentary series. Yeah, I also think it's critical that these types of stories are properly covered in South Africa. Um, they are immensely expensive uh, to do, uh, but we need this, this public record of, of what went wrong. Is that a segment in our media coverage that is developing in your view? I think it is. Look, I'm also not crazy about the idea of, you know, trial by media. I still think the most important thing is that anybody who has been alleged of wrongdoing needs to have their time in court and, uh, you know, have this all put fairly towards them in, in a court of law. And unfortunately, there hasn't been the satisfaction of that just yet for a variety of reasons that we do go into in the series. So I don't see this necessarily as being a kind of a, a 
trial by media, but the media plays a really important role in helping to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And I think not just for uh, an entertainment audience, but hopefully this can also be useful in you know, helping to galvanize how people think about it, the prosecutors out there, our lawmakers, our parliamentarians. You know, there was some criticism of the parliamentarians when Marcus Joester and some of the Steinhoff representatives were in parliament answering questions, that they were somewhat ill-equipped to, to grapple with this. And I don't think they can really be blamed for it because of the complexity of it. And so I think our role in reducing that complexity to something that's more manageable to, to grasp plays a really important role in keeping all South Africans informed, really. Richard, thanks uh, for your time. That was Richard Finn Gregory. He is the director of Steinice. But uh, with me in studio also is Rob Rose. He's the editor of Financial Mail. He's also written the book by the same name, Steinice. Rob, uh, welcome to the studio. You've been closely involved with this documentary. How much does it reveal which is not already in the public domain? Great, great to be here. Um, I think that the documentary is, firstly, it's a way of telling people the story that is completely new. I think that the, the finance press largely covered the story. I think it was difficult to kind of communicate the message of what actually happened in Steinhoff and what, why it mattered to the average person on the street. And I think this documentary will go a long way to doing that. Um, for me, there was lots I learned new in it. I mean, to hear people speak about their personal experiences and talking about this a few years on, um, it's, it, was, it was quite illuminating. And I think that's you know, even for people who think they know the story very well, um, there's a lot new to, to be seen in this. Now, there has been a lot of reporting on the subject, but in many ways it was disjointed. It lacked uh, perspective. So it will be excellent to see all of the perspectives in a, a three-part series because people need to understand the context in, in which all of this happened. Yeah, for sure. And Rick, like you said to Richard just now, I do think that the need for a cohesive public record is, is vital um, and these stories must be told well. And in the absence of an NPA, for example, or prosecuting service, putting it out there, what actually happened, um, it's, it's left to society to kind of decode what happened. And I think that this is, this is as close as you'll get to finding a complete record of, of what went down. Yeah, one of the people that is really uh, critical in this whole story is Christu Visser. Um, and you interviewed him extensively for your book. But the interview you've done now, um, according to Richard, which was pretty long, uh, which I can't wait to see, has his perspective on what happened changed? I don't actually think so. I think Christo, he spent a few weeks after the Steinhoff collapse happened figuring out how to handle this. Then he came out publicly a few weeks after it in sort of early 2018, and his messages remained pretty consistent, which is that he obviously didn't know what was going on um, and that he was lied to and deceived. And in any board, there's a situation where, you know, you have to trust your CEOs to do certain things, and they just, you know, Marcus Yuster simply deceived him. Um, so he was quite open about the impact on his life and how he does business and and how this happened. But I think I think he's, you know, he's somebody who truly believes there's going to be prison for Marcus Yost at some stage and that there will be accountability here. So he's, I, th I do think he stayed fairly consistent in his messaging right along. It's an interesting <laughs> debate because now he's the this individual who's lost the most. But as Richard also said, he still has a few billion in the bank and, and his perspectives will sure. be interesting. I mean, totally when you consider that he was the chair of the company. So you have to say, you know, if there's accountability at the board for not detecting this, then Christo Visa was the chairman. So there's the complication, you know, the, the, the nuance that he also lost himself 59 billion rand in it. But, you know, if anyone could have seen it coming, would it not have been the board? 
Let's talk about the board. You know, everybody says we didn't see it. We uh, didn't expect it. We didn't realize something was wrong earlier. Do, do you think that offense sticks? I mean, I do personally think that these guys I've spoken to weren't aware of what happened. Um, and I think that they did have potentially a degree of confirmation bias. They wanted to believe the story. They had, you know, as Christo Visa points out in this in this documentary, we had internal auditors, we had external auditors, we had every single banker looking at all of the financials um, for years, for every deal that happened, and Steinhoff did many, many deals, um, and nobody picked anything up. And these were guys whose job it is to pick things up like that, and they didn't. So his view is, well, how could we have done that? I think that I do think that there's a case to be made that perhaps a greater degree of professional skepticism would have been good on the board. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't think that the board, you know, as some people might have thought, were in on it or knew about it. You are an award-winning journalist. You've uh, written many books. You've written about Steinhoff. What what role does a documentary play in the coverage of sagas like this? Does it add to the story? Rick, as an award-winning journalist yourself, you know the value of um, telling stories in different ways. There's print media. Um, there's there's you know this this medium, radio, for example, reaches a lot more people. And I think I think the visual medium, I think documentaries, is becoming a way of telling a lot of these stories. We've seen the story of Wirecard being told. We've seen the story of Theranos. And I think that people resonate with those kind of stories told in a visual way that they wouldn't necessarily with print. So I think it certainly brings home the message of what's happening, these fault lines in our society and in our, in our business environment as well in, in a different way that, that you know, will cause the message to, to, to sink deeper. Well, I think many people can't wait for the first episode. I certainly can't wait. Well done. It seems like it's a comprehensive account of what happened. And hopefully at the end of the three-part series, everybody is more educated of what happened because I think the story definitely needs to be told. Rob Rose is the editor of the Financial Mail.